Zechariah 13, 7 through 9. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire, and refine them as one refines silver. Test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. As we go to the word, would you join me again in prayer? Father in heaven, we have just sang about the way that you make believers alive in Christ, how you have given us the hope of resurrection. And I ask that you would let that hope rise in our hearts now as we hear what Christ has done for us. Father, I pray that we would not only be hearers of your word, but that it would transform us so that we would become doers of the word, that we would be imitators of Christ, sharing in the same hope, the same resurrection. Father, I pray that you would let us love Jesus more because we have witnessed his betrayal and his sufferings in the pages of scripture today. I ask that you would let us trust better in his perfect sacrifice For those who are here who have not experienced the forgiveness of sins, I pray that they would trust in Jesus and his sacrifice today, that they would experience mercy and peace. Father, I pray for those who are living without a thought of Christ, that they would be convicted of sin, and I pray that they would see how necessary Jesus' sacrifice is and how necessary it is to walk in newness of life. Father, I pray for believers that when we are tempted to believe you don't understand us in our sufferings and in our solitude, I pray that we would see here in Scripture how forsaken and alone Christ is in this hour of darkness and that we would rest in him as our Savior who helps us in our weakness. We praise you that in his humility he was willing to be tempted in the same way that we are tempted yet without sin. Father, I pray that you would let us be encouraged by how perfect our Savior Jesus is. Let us be comforted by our Savior's love. Let us be strengthened by our Savior's prayers. And I pray that you would move our hearts to worship the Lord today with sincere hearts. And that we would live lives of worship to the one who gave himself for us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would do all of this as we look at your word. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are continuing our series in Luke's gospel. And this message is an invitation to you to love Jesus Christ. That might sound a little bit strange. I think many, maybe most, maybe all of us would say, yes, I love Jesus. But I want to suggest to you something, that if you don't know someone, you cannot love them. 
Think about how bizarre it would be. Imagine you're, you're pulling through McDonald's to get your cup of coffee or, or, your, or your Big Mac or whatever it is that you get at McDonald's. You give the person at the window your change, and the person looks you in the eye and says, I love you. Would you feel loved? Probably not. You'd probably say something like, can I speak to a manager? It's not normal for people who don't know each other to express love. And I think especially in church, we feel a lot of pressure to love Christ, because that's what Christians do. And sometimes we feel inauthentic. Like we have to confess, I love Jesus, and sing songs like, Jesus loves me, this I know, and, and, and yes, Jesus loves me. And yet, there's a reality that in our hearts we don't feel his love. And so the love that we profess in return is kind of fake. And this message is intended to help us with that today. I believe that there is nothing more important in the world than loving Jesus Christ. But you can't love him without knowing who he is. You can't love him without knowing what he has done for you. And if you are a believer today, you've already come to know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. It's completely possible to have heard what he did for you and for your heart to have grown cold. That your love is less than it was and less than it should be. For you, you don't need to hear for the first time what Christ has done for you. You need to remember what he did for you. And by the grace of God, that memory may rekindle the fire of your love in your heart. Jesus Christ has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And so we worship him for the love that he has had for us, for what he has done for us. We've seen in the Gospel of Luke how Jesus is born, how he is the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, how he triumphs over Satan in every way. He resists temptation. He breaks the demonic power that Satan exercises over broken people. He heals the sick. He forgives sin. He teaches with clarity and with authority and with conviction. And he helps people know what God has said. And he calls them to repentance and promises that the kingdom is near. And now, at the climax of this gospel... He tells his apostles that he is going to die and that one of them will betray him. And from that clear statement that one of them would betray him, all of his apostles start arguing about who the greatest among them is. They're not even examining themselves at this point. They're saying, no, no, I'm better than all of you. And, And maybe listing the things that they've done. And from there, Christ says to Peter, You will deny me. And Peter says, no, I won't deny you. I'm ready to die with you. And from there, Jesus leads them to a garden where all of them utterly abandon him. He has told them what would happen. And now the hour of darkness has come. 
And so I want to look at a few things this morning. I want to look at how Jesus prepares for this time. I want to talk about the prayer for deliverance that he prays, that he commands his followers to pray. And then I want to take you and show you how he is arrested, how he is denied, and how he is abused. Part of me was tempted to just look at the few verses where Christ prays in agony and he instructs us to pray that we would not be given over to temptation. But you have to see this entire passage because you need to see how the Father answers the prayer of Jesus. And it's in the passage that you see the answer to Christ's prayer. And my hope for my own heart and for yours is that you would see the love that God has for you in this darkest hour in all of history. And so I want to invite you to look with me, beginning at the prayer for deliverance. I'm in Luke's gospel, in chapter 22. And I want to urge you to follow along with me, beginning in verse 39. Luke writes, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. We see first a prayer for deliverance. And I want to break it into two parts because Jesus commands his followers to pray and then he himself goes and prays. Specifically, he commands his followers to pray that they would not fall into temptation. He has warned them. He has told them what would happen. And yet in this hour of darkness, they will be tempted to abandon the one who forgives their sins. They will be tempted to deny the one who is their only hope. They have seen who he is and what he can do. Some of them have seen his glory. Some of them were taken up on a mountain and shown who he truly is. All of the glory of God shining from his face so brightly that they were terrified. And now at this time, they no longer believe that there's hope they are tempted to abandon him completely and christ says in the face of that temptation the thing they ought to do with great urgency is to pray prayer is something that sometimes comes naturally in a moment of crisis but i want to urge you and beg with you that it's something that ought to be developed faithfully before the crisis comes he has already taught them about prayer. You can look back at Luke chapter 11. 
You can read what he says to them, how they are to address the Father with intimacy, knowing that he is their Father who will meet their needs. You can see the types of things that he instructs them to pray about provision, about about confession of sin. But here he focuses on one thing. Pray that you will not enter into temptation. He says it twice. And I'm convinced one of the reasons that we continue to wrestle with sin in our own lives is we have failed to heed this clear command. You ought to pray for me that I not enter temptation and I ought to pray for you that you ought not enter temptation because temptation is coming. It is a constant. It is real for all of us until we see Christ face to face. And the consequences of failure are serious and real. For Judas, it meant eternal damnation. For the others, it meant shame. And their failure to pray led to a failure to obey. And I want to urge you this morning, if you battle different temptations, and all of us do in different areas of weakness... Heed the command of Christ and know, maybe you're here this morning and you've had a good week. This is not a bad week for you. You're like, man, all these people are so gloomy. But maybe you've come today and you do experience anxiety. Maybe you've experienced bitterness and deep pain and maybe you're discouraged. And if that's you, I would say, pray that you not enter temptation. Your anxiety can either drive you to Christ or drive a wedge between you and Christ. Pray that the trials you face drive you closer to the Lord and not further away. Pray that you would not enter temptation. If you had a great week, I have some disheartening news. Temptation is coming for you. And so you need to pray that you would not be led astray. Not only does Christ command his followers to pray, but he has his own private prayer. He goes by himself and addresses the Father and says this, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I was reading in Matthew's Gospel this morning, Christ prays this prayer three times during his time in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prays repeatedly. He prays emotionally. He prays with fear and he prays with anxiety. And think for a moment about who he is. This is the Son of the Father. You know, you and I are separated from God because of our sin apart from Christ. When we ask God for something, He doesn't owe us anything. In fact, we are the rebellious children. He he would be completely just if He answered every request we have with a resounding no. And yet, Jesus Christ is the only begotten of the Father. He is the Father's beloved Son. This is the one That the Father reveals, he says, this is my Son in whom I delight, in whom I am well pleased. Christ never falls into sin, even once. This is the Son that the Father delights in completely. 
And if ever someone could come to God and say, I want you to do this for me, it is Christ. Because he is in the position of never having disappointed his father. There's no sin that taints his request. He's not going to ask for anything immoral. And yet when he comes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he is looking forward to the cross and he is looking forward to his isolation, he is trembling for what he calls this cup. If you read through the Old Testament, God describes a cup of wrath that will be poured out on those who are rebellious. And that is the cup that Christ is talking about. He knows that he is going to bear the full weight of God's fury against sin. And in that prospect, he is frightened. Matthew's gospel says that that his soul is distressed unto death. Here it describes him sweating as if drops of blood. You can imagine his body physically shaking at the prospect of what he knows is coming. He trembles in grief. He sweats as if drops of blood. He experiences deeper anxiety than you or I have ever felt. Some of you experience anxiety. You know what that's like. Christ's anxiety is deeper still. The Son of God is afraid. The Son of God is in torment. Ambrose, who is one of those guys that that is very early in church history, some of you may have heard of Augustine. Ambrose is Augustine's pastor. And he said that this son of God, he grieved for me who had no cause of grief for himself. He had no reason to be grieved. He had no reason to be afraid of the wrath of God because he had never sinned. And yet he willingly put himself in this garden knowing that he will be abandoned, knowing the pain of the cross that's coming, knowing that false accusations would be made and believed and he would be wrongfully sentenced. And worst of all, knowing that he would experience the fury of God's divine wrath. And he willingly does that and says to the Father, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. He says, not my will, but yours. And God answers this prayer in two ways. First, the text says that he sent an angel and he was strengthened. And later on, you'll find out that the father's answer to this request of the son is a resounding no. So you see the prayer for deliverance. And now notice how Jesus is arrested in response to this prayer. Look at verses 47 to 53 with me. While he was still speaking, urging his followers to pray that they would not fall into temptation, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. 
And he drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them, John's Gospel says it was Peter, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Notice that in this hour of darkness, when evil is allowed a temporary and hollow triumph, Jesus demonstrates his complete obedience to the Father by telling his own followers not to fight for him. He knows that the will of the Father is for him to go to the cross. And so, even though he has just prayed three times in agony, Father, let this pass from me. When the moment arrives, he obediently allows himself to be arrested. Although he is fearful of God's wrath, he is obedient to the Father's will. And notice all of the people who are there during his arrest. There's Judas, one of his own. The chief priests are there. The officers of the temple are there. The elders of the people are there. Earlier this week, I've I've been reading in Ezra and in Nehemiah. One of the things that Ezra and Nehemiah do is they institute temple worship again. So they have long lists of all the people who are in charge of singing. All of the people who are in charge of collecting the offerings and making sure that they're distributed. All of the people who are responsible for good and faithful worship. All of the temple singers who both perform in music and who lead others in singing. These are the people who are responsible for the worship of Almighty God. And the spiritual leadership of Israel comes and attempts to kill God. And God says, this is your hour, and lets them have their way. So you see the spiritual leadership of all Israel, and even one of Jesus' own disciples, betray Christ and allow him to be arrested, and he is hauled off as a criminal, and then you see Jesus denied by a faithful follower. Look at verses 54 to 62 with me. It says, Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. 
And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. We've seen Jesus arrested. We've seen Jesus denied. And and we don't know. This is the kind of thing that, that we could never know. But what if Peter had prayed instead of sleeping? What if he had had the humility to recognize the danger of temptation? See, he didn't believe Jesus when Jesus said to him, you will deny me three times. And since he didn't believe Jesus, he didn't feel like it was necessary to ask for deliverance from temptation. And so he didn't pray. And so here he is, and he fails in his hour of testing because he was unprepared. And I I don't know what would have happened if he had believed Christ and prayed, but I imagine Christ's instructions are good. I imagine if he had faithfully asked for the Father's support, he would have been delivered from this time of testing and trial. And and some of you hear the, the instructions of Jesus to pray for deliverance from temptation, and you think, that's good, that's good, I should do that, I'm gonna do that. But you don't plan to do it, and you won't do it. You won't make time to do it. You won't recognize your own temptations to sin. And like Peter, when temptation arrives, you will not be delivered because you have not asked for strength and help. And so I want to say to you again, learn this lesson from Peter. Believe the Lord when he warns you that hours of testing and trial were coming. We've seen in Luke's gospel already, you don't know when Christ is going to return. It could happen at any time. Don't be caught unaware and unready. And yet many of us live our lives without ever thinking Jesus could return at this minute. We make plans. Some of us even make plans to commit sin as if there will be no accounting for what we do with our lives. Jesus has told us, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust decay. Store them up for you in heaven. And instead of storing up treasures in heaven... We build our kingdoms here as if Christ will never return. That's the exact same mistake that Peter made. Don't plan for your retirement and fail to plan for eternity. Recognize that this matters deeply. The things that you love now matter deeply. And so I want to beg you again, because of the way that Peter fails, to pray that you will not enter into temptation. Ask God for deliverance. Say, God, help me to have a faithful heart to recognize what Jesus has done for me and to live my life for him because it belongs to him. It is his. He made you and he died for you and you ought to live not for yourself, but for him who died for you and rose again. So I want to urge you again, pray that you not fall into temptation, but also I want to recognize this. As you think about why is it that God allowed for all of these things to happen? That Christ prayed and asked for deliverance from this hour and God told him, no. Why is it that the Son of God is abandoned and alone? And I believe one of the reasons 
One of the things that we ought to recognize is that the disciples, all of them, were arguing about who was incredibly great. And after a failure like this, no one could ever make the same claim again. They all abandoned him, and the agony of failure forever humbled them. So that they learned, rather than depending on themselves, that they ought to depend on Christ. Some of us come here as Christians, and we come with our own failures. Some of us have sexual sins. Some of us abuse different substances. Some of us have loves of money that that are diverting our energies away from Christ. Some of us are not committed to serving him as we should. And in all of those things, we rely on ourselves and our own plans when we should recognize that our life belongs to God. When you fail, and when the things that you trust in disappoint you, in your failure, you will then turn to Christ and realize how precious and valuable he is. And if you already come with a burden of guilt and you feel as if God doesn't love you because of your failure, recognize that when Jesus prayed for Peter, it was that his failures would not prevent his faith from rising again. And if you have failed Christ, recognize that you can depend on him Entirely and completely. Your salvation does not depend on your perfection. You're not perfect. Your salvation depends on Christ's perfection. And he is. So if you have failed, hope in Christ. And as you hope in Christ, learn to trust him and learn to live for him. Not only does it teach us that we ought to not rely on ourselves, but we ought to rely on Christ. That we have no place for pride in ourselves, but instead we ought to pray and depend on God. It means that because Jesus is utterly abandoned, that Jesus and Jesus alone accomplishes salvation. He does it without any human support whatsoever. He alone is our Savior. We don't depend on humans to save our souls. We depend on Christ and Christ alone, the God-man who was utterly abandoned in this hour of darkness. So we've seen Christ arrested. We've seen Christ denied. There are just a few more verses, and I want to point out that we will see Christ abused. Look with me at verses 63 to 65. It says, now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. And they also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. Now notice, this shows the beginning of Jesus' physical suffering, how they mocked him and beat him. And this shows how the Father answered his prayer. It was the Father's will that the Son would experience betrayal, abandonment, denial, and abuse. Jesus had every right to request anything of the Father. He had no sin. And the Father said of Jesus, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And yet the Father told him, No. Pastor Tim Keller says, God treated Jesus as we deserve. 
We are sinners. We don't deserve to have our prayers answered. But God said no to the prayer of Jesus. So that if you believe in Christ, you can have the privilege of hearing the Father say yes to you. Because the Father told Jesus no, when you trust that Jesus is your Savior, the Father will listen to your prayers. The Father will not fail to give you every good thing. That's what Paul says in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, how will he fail then to give us every good thing? And maybe you'll say, you know, I've asked God for a lot of things in my life. I've heard a lot of no's. But the reality is, the Father has already given you the greatest thing in the universe. If he is telling you no, the reason is he loves you. He has given you Christ. He has given you the forgiveness of sin. He has offered to welcome you into his family, to give you the hope of resurrection. What could be greater? You can lose everything and have a hope that is real That you will have everything when you are raised with Christ in God. And so the Father will say yes to you because Jesus took your place and suffered for you. And so as we think about what this means for our lives today, I want to call you to do a few things. Number one, recognize that this was God's plan. Luke begins his gospel saying that he is writing an account of the things that took place among them. The things that God ordained would happen. God is carrying out his plan perfectly. You heard Heather read earlier how one of the prophets in the Old Testament said that the shepherd would be struck and the sheep would scatter. Christ is the shepherd. The disciples are the sheep. When the mob came to arrest Christ, everyone scattered, just as God said would happen hundreds of years before Christ was born. This is the exact plan of God. So I want to call you to believe that you can have peace with God because Christ, your shepherd, suffered for you. He was innocent, but he was treated as if he was guilty so that we who are guilty can be treated as if we were innocent. I heard a quote from a guy, he's a theologian, he just passed away just about a year ago. Sometimes people ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And he said, the reality is that has only ever happened once and he volunteered. It's true, all of us are guilty, Christ alone is innocent. And so I want to encourage you, believe. You have heard exactly what he suffered. If you've experienced physical trauma and the stress of anxiety and depression and fear and loneliness, understand Christ voluntarily experienced something deeper for you. Believe that this is real. Not only believe that it happened, that it was God's plan, But trust that your Savior understands your temptations because of this. 
Hebrews 2.18 says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with our weaknesses. He experienced all of them, and yet without sin. C.S. Lewis observed that you and I, Sometimes wonder, how can a sinless God experience my own struggles and temptations? The reality is, because he is sinless, he experienced them deeper than we ever will. Because when we give in to sin, the temptation evaporates and goes away. He never gave in, and the temptation only grew deeper. And yet, he never sinned. So trust that when you pray for deliverance, you are praying to a God who understands your temptations and who loves you. Find comfort that Christ prays for you, fully understanding the depth of your fears and your desires. Understand that he will save you and trust him as you pray. Learn to pray, but understand that when you pray, you are actively putting your trust in him. You are asking for his help. That's what prayer is, calling out to God for his help, trusting in what he has said. Learn from the way that he prayed. We pray for the Father's will as he taught us. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And yes, by all means, ask for your daily bread. Ask for the help that you need with money. Ask for for physical healing. Ask for all of those things. But all of them must come under the command that we pray according to the will of God, trusting that when he says no, it's precisely because he loves us. Learn the real danger of temptation and learn to pray for deliverance. If you Trust in your Savior and the depth of his agony and suffering for you. It will help your prayer life. Finally, today, literally today, worship the Lord Jesus because of what he's done for you. Let your prayers in this service rise up with thankfulness because he suffered for you in your place. He left the joy of heaven to be betrayed and to suffer. He was grieved. He was in agony. He was sweating as if drops of blood for you. Has anyone ever loved you so much? So would you worship him? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Scripture calls us not only to sing songs, not only to pray, but to give our lives as an act of spiritual worship, which is right and good because Christ gave his life for us. I ask for your help, Lord. I pray for your deliverance from temptation. Some of us are so easily distracted by things that do not matter. Some of us hold grudges and allow sin to creep in and divide the body of Christ Some of us can't admit failures, and so we never ask for forgiveness. Some of us live lives of indifference. Father, I pray that as we see Christ in the garden in agony, that you would draw us all to have hearts of worship, that we would hold nothing back and give ourselves wholly and completely to Christ, that we would trust and rest in what he's done for us, 
And I ask that you would lift up our hearts, make them yours, and may our worship be sweet. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I prepare to end this service, we do have a business meeting starting in a couple of minutes. Um, I want to say, if the Holy Spirit has convicted your heart, maybe you'd recognize that you need to grow in prayer. Maybe you recognize that you've not been taking your own temptations seriously enough. Would you commit to obeying what the Lord has said in this passage? Would you maybe write it in your Bible? Maybe talk to someone, a friend, a husband, a wife, and say, I need to pray more seriously and urgently. Husbands and wives, maybe you need to recommit to praying together. My prayer for us is that the Holy Spirit would use this passage to keep us faithful until Christ returns. And so I want to leave you with these verses from the end of Jude's short little letter. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.